0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So I want to start off um, this morning by asking how many people enjoy fast food? Don't tell lies, come on. Do you really? Do Okay. 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 I have a bittersweet relationship with fast food restaurants. One thing I love about fast food, it's fast. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of the time, it's cheap. It's inexpensive. The problem that I have, however, apart from it being fast and cheap, is that when you look at the signboard on what you're looking to buy, a lot of the time, you don't get it. Exhibit A. How many times have we been promised... A great juicy quarter pounder or Big Mac or Mercos or whatever it is, only to find that's a a good version of what you'd get actually on the right hand side. I feel my heart is largely conflicted in this relationship because you're being sold one thing and you're actually getting another. You're having something advertised to you. It looks so mouth-wateringly juicy. And when you open up that brown paper bag, (laughs) which oozes, (laughs) it oozes luxury, those brown paper bags, and you pick it up, you feel a little sense of indignation and resentment at times. Was, was it just me? Look at you judging me in your heart. Then I, I realise, hang on, no, no, I, I, I do deserve better than this. That instant win stamp on the Monopoly game that I just cashed in warrants me to get a better Big Mac than what I got. When you turn your TV on, you'll see constantly something put in front of you that advertises one thing but gives you another. I kind of feel like at times they're lying to us. If there was a title to my message this morning, it would be this. We're being lied to. We're being lied to. There are three lies I think that the world gives to us, continually tells us, which is, counter kingdom it's not part of how God wants us to function or how he wants us to live and the first lie that we're being told is that it's all about you amen or out it's all about you um, whether it's my is my store or where do you want to go today or Whatever it may be, we are being sold a lie that it's all about us and that, in effect, we are the center of the universe. <laughs> if you're up for it, repeat this after me. Repeat after me. The world does not revolve around me. Why are you pointing at your husband or your wife when you're saying, hey, did you, are you getting this word? This is good word right now. The world does not revolve around us. Of course, we know the re- world revolves around Christ Jesus. It's about Him. Always has been. Always will be. He was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But the second lie that we have been told is that you are entitled to be happy. You're entitled. I love that word, entitlement. I deserve it. I'm entitled. I deserve. I'm entitled. Don't you see... If you're up for repeating this sentence, say this, my sense of entitlement destroys my happiness. I'm making, I'm making some enemies this morning. I can just see it. Final lie number three, and this is probably the most controversial I want to talk about and delve into today from Mark's Gospel, is that you can do anything you set your mind to. You can do anything you set your mind to. Any parents ever said that to their kids? I've said that to my children. But actually, we cannot do anything that we set our mind to. We're capable of great things. We're great at the potential within and accomplishing wonderful things. But at the end of the day, we are not limitless beings. Repeat after me. I have my limitations. And if you're up for it, say this, I am not God. We have our limitations. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 14, because that's where we are. If you're here today and you're just hopping in on the conversation, we've been working through chapter a week through the gospel of Mark. We're up to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read a little bit together, just probably five or six verses. We're going to start off Mark chapter 14, verse 26, go through to verse 31. And just to give a bit of context, what's happening here is Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, just prior to this. He's uh, having a Passover meal with his disciples before he's about to be killed, to be crucified. And then what happens after that is they have this amazing communion meal, this, this, uh, this Last Supper. It says in verse 26 this, English Standard Version today. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus... And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, all the disciples, said the same. Let's think about that for a moment. There's a final meal Jesus having with his disciples. And after that, it says, they had sung a hymn and then they went out to the Mount. Of olives. Actually, it's really interesting when you think about that. Jesus was singing with his disciples. He sung a hymn, real men sing. I'm telling you, baby. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. This is just a side note, actually. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was, he was going to be handed over. He knew he was going to be tried. He knew he was going to be hung on a cross. He knew that. But what did he do? He sang a worship songs. What a great test for our hearts. That no matter what, we're singing glory to God. And so he sings a song, he sings a hymn, it says, And then he said to his disciples, you will all fall away, all of you, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Isn't that so true? that heads of groups, heads of organizations, heads of families, heads of churches, the enemy knows that if he can strike the head, strike the shepherd, then the sheep can scatter. If ever there was a time for you to pray for your leaders, for your bosses, for your ministers, your pastors, for your premiers, your prime ministers, do it. But after I'm raised, Jesus said... After I am raised up, he's already looking ahead. He's already looking. After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. I love Pete here. Sometimes he shoots his mouth off, doesn't he? (laughs) Even though all those guys, all them, even though they're going to fall away, not me. Not me, Jesus. Not me at all. Jesus said, truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, I don't know if Peter's just uh, stupid or overconfident or both. I haven't worked it out yet. But even after Jesus reinforces this reality, Peter disagrees. He says, oh, well, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. If you're taking notes, write this down. Do not confuse confidence and arrogance. Do not confuse confidence and arrogance. Here we see Peter, who was sold Out for Jesus. I mean, he was sold out, and he's giving this strong, emphatic cry: "No matter what, Jesus, I will stand for you." The last couple of weeks, myself and Pastor Brett, we've been preaching messages on standing for Christ and standing on the truth, and making sure that we stand. But do you know? So very important. We see here the importance of standing. We've got to make sure that we're standing. In him, and that our confidence is in Christ. Any confidence not placed in Christ is confidence misplaced, and that confidence placed in ourselves becomes arrogance. There's only so much we can bring to the table, and in a sense, we're being lied to about how good we really are. We love being in places and spaces where we're constantly having our tires pumped up. I love it. And in a sense, we all love to be celebrated. We need that. But all of that self-inflating, self-esteem talk, that only gets you so far. It only gets you so far. If all I ever do is live and I exist to constantly live off the affirmations of people, it's only going to feed my narcissistic tendencies. Now there's a word you'll see all over the internet, narcissism. Oh, that person's a narcissist. Oh. And all of a sudden we become psychiatrists and psychologists able to quickly identify everyone else is narcissistic. And what we're really doing is abdicating our own responsibility to own up to stuff in our lives. I'll leave that one alone. I'm sorry. I'll leave that one alone. Peter, in a sense, is quite willing to make a bold stand for Jesus. And we have to applaud that. But we see that pride certainly did come before a bit of a stumble for Pete. Because we know that Jesus was right when he prophesied this. After this, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, Peter couldn't even stand with Jesus in prayer. And there's a note for us. If we can't stand privately in prayer, how are we going to stand publicly? And so we read as well, there are other accounts in the Gospels. I'll turn us over to Luke chapter 22 soon. But Peter denied before other people who Jesus was to him. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, never met that guy. Within 24 hours of making such a bold proclamation. Jeremiah 17 and 25 says, this is what the Lord says, curse to those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Pete didn't get the memo on this one who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength. Pete was relying on his own strength. He was relying on his own strength. I have found in my life that when things are going well and I forget about my vulnerability, my fragility, I am more prone to stumbling. When I take my eyes off Jesus and things are going great, things are going well. And I, I, I then put confidence in myself, particularly confidence in my flesh, my own ability to get through, to overcome, to succeed. That's my Achilles. But if you're too strong for God to help, my question is, why would he then intervene? If, if we don't need God's help, why would he come? That's the whole message of the cross, that we are incapable of saving ourselves. We're incapable. And so because of sin by nature and by choice, sin has corrupted and perverted our condition. But the great news is that Christ has come. The Messiah has come. God has put skin on into this world to save us, to set us free, but also to redeem us that we can be victorious in him. It's in Jesus. So we either stumble in arrogance or we stand in confidence. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31, we're making reference to Corinthians before. It says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Corinthians 10 verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, Paul writes, be careful that you don't fall. Here's some really strong language from Paul to the church at Philippi. Look out for the dogs. Oh, gee, the Bible's getting a bit harsh. Paul writes, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. That I myself has, have reason, have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What's Paul saying? He's saying, guys, listen, if anyone can brag about how good they are, if anyone can brag about their accomplishments and their achievements, it's me. But I, I don't do it. I don't do it. Please, you don't do it either. What happened with Peter here? He was right in his profession, but his heart was misplaced In his allegiance his allegiance was on his own ability I wonder where in our lives have we placed confidence in ourselves where might we be playing confidence in our own placing confidence in our own abilities our abilities to make money our abilities for physical accomplishments our abilities for intelligent decisions or relational successes? Where are we placing confidence in our own abilities? Now, that's not to say that God does not give us gifts and abilities. He does. But He gives it. He provides it. He affords it. He enables it. He graces us. So, first point, don't confuse confidence and arrogance. Because if you're too strong for God to help, why would He? On that note, how do we know if we are putting confidence in ourselves? If there's a self-confidence and, in a sense, an independence from God? How do we know? Well, there are probably two things we may say to ourselves. The first one is this, well, it's not going to happen to me. Have you ever said that to yourself? Well, that won't happen to me. That's not going to happen to me. Do you know how many times I've I've heard people say that? That's not going to happen to me. This is what it says, Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Second thing we might say to ourselves, well, I'm too good for that. I'm too good for that. Romans 12, 3 says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. I love what Jude says, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling. Now, to Him who is able. It's God's grace that sustains us. It's in Him we stand. So as we stand for Him, we must stand in Him. As we stand for truth, we also stand in the truth. He's the person of truth. Here is a call for us to humbly come before God and ask Him for grace because grace is not just a ticket for goodness because we're bad. Grace is what God brings to enable and empower. When God gives you grace, when God gives me grace, it's it's more than just good that's undeserved. It's anointing, it's power. It's of Himself to enable obedience and overcoming and victory and the like. That's what grace is. It's not just a ticket. It's not just a present. It's it's so much more than that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Those that know me know I love this. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, verse 10, it says, Finally be strong in yourself. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand, Pastor Brett read this last week, stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, just in case we haven't got the message, he says again, Stand therefore. Stand therefore. I told some of you recently that uh, during my long service leave, my two months off, I had about probably a week doing nothing, maybe two. And then I started getting into some boxing. And uh, so I got a boxing bag, got some boxing gloves, I started boxing and then I hurt my back. So I stopped and I just ate lots of ice cream. I just watched lots of boxing videos, training videos and fighters and and techniques and what they've done. I'm fascinated with the mentality involved in preparation for a fight. And... Um, I was listening to to one uh, fighter who is very good and this is what he said, he says one of the worst places that you can be before a fight is if you're really good and, at the, and that you're at the top of your game but you underestimate your opposition because you become complacent and I thought what a great picture for us. You can have been born again so many years ago. You could have been walking with the Lord every single day for the last 20, 30, 40 years and yet be complacent tomorrow. And you're relying on yesterday's revelation and yesterday's bread alone. And you're not realizing that every day He's our daily bread. I need him every day. I need his grace every day. I, 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 it's not just that I need salvation 10, 20 years ago. I'm being saved and I will be saved. The Bible's clear on that. So I need Him every single day and I feed off the truth. I feed off the reality that He's got me through so much. He's brought me so far, but He ain't finished with me. He's still up to good things and He's gonna do even more. He is moving me from glory to glory by the power of His Spirit. Philippians 2 tells us that it is God who works in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. God works in us to will and work for what he wants to do. That's God doing the work in me. So I can't stand in my own strength. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to see Luke's account of what he says. Luke 22. Are you still with me this morning? luke 22. luke it's still in the new testament isn't it they haven't moved it to the to the old testament have they it's still there luke twenty twenty two 22 verse 31. jesus says simon simon or peter behold satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but i prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So there's a little bit more, there's another puzzle to go on, another puzzle piece to go in that puzzle there. That, that See what happened before that profession. Even Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when he says you, it's a plural here. He's talking to them all. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that you may, that your faith may not fail. And he says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So not only is Peter, is Jesus saying, uh, you, you, you're going to stumble. But you're going to come back. And when you do come back, you're going to need to help your brothers. But let's look at the at the spiritual dynamic here, we just read from Ephesians chapter 6 that we wage not war according to flesh and blood, we know that. We know that there are other forces out there, there there is a greater reality beyond what we just see with our physical eyes, there is a different reality that exists behind the scenes. And Jesus points to this in this dialogue with his disciples in Luke's gospel. He says, Satan has demanded to have you, he he wants you, he, he, he's trying to sift you like wheat. But Jesus says, but no, 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 I have prayed for you. If there's any comfort of having the prayers of anyone, it's Jesus himself. When Jesus prays for you, you know he prays in line with the Father and anything that he asks for, he's going to get. And so there is a weakness here. Peter and the disciples and it was an element of self-confidence so I submit to you to give God your weakness or Satan will exploit it give God your weakness or Satan will exploit it and that's what he endeavored to do here with the disciples he wished to exploit their self-confidence I love a quote that Pastor Brett said last week. He said, fear not, trust in God. By His grace, we can endure right to the end. So what's your fragility? What's your frailty? What's your weakness this morning when you think about it? Are you content in it? Would you be willing to give it to God? Would you be willing to give God your weakness so that He can give you His strength? Second Corinthians chapter twelve, please. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Let's go from verse seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. It is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says then, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults. I am content with hardships. I am content with persecutions. I am content in calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, how does that sit with our theology? That Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, said, no, I'm not going to take this from you. Despite you asking for it three times, I'm just going to let it sit there. The thorn in your flesh, a messenger of Satan, I'm going to let it sit there. Because I want you to know that in your weakness, there I can be strong. So have you got a limp in your life? Praise God for the limps. Praise God for it. Now, either we're going to hide it and cover it up and be ashamed of it, or we're going to say, Yes, in the midst of the limp, though, I still stand. In the midst of the limp, God rules. In the midst of the limp, we can see God's grace. Your humility in this will attract God's grace, not your ability. Your humility attracts the grace of God, not your ability. Contrary to what the world is telling us, that it's about what you're good at and making it shine, and you're that's actually not what atta- um, attracts the gaze of God and the grace of God. It's our, it's, it's, it's a heart that comes before Him and says, I am weak, but you are strong. Let's go to James, it says, chapter 4, verse 6, therefore God. Opposes the proud, it says, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5. The same Peter that we're reading about now. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time He may exalt you. Whose responsibility is the humbling? Our responsibility. And who does the exalting? He does the exalting. So if we can learn to humble ourselves in our hearts, perhaps use our weaknesses, our frailties, our vulnerabilities, bring them to God, present them to God, And don't give the enemy an opportunity to exploit those. Use them for God. Let them be redeemed. There is nothing wasted in the kingdom of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You have perhaps relationally, emotionally, spiritually limped into this room this morning. I want you to know something. God God is not going to waste that. He's not going to waste it. Look at what happened with Peter. Peter. Peter was told by Jesus, when this happens, you're going to come back. And when you do come back, restore your brothers. It was used. I was asked recently from someone I respect. He says, how are you going with things at the moment in your life? I said, look, it's not easy, but I just sense the grace of God. He says, how do you know it's the grace of God and not just your ability? I said, that's a really good question. I feel in my heart that no matter what, I, I, I feel my own ability can get me so far. And then when I feel I have nothing left, all of a sudden, boom. The grace of God, the anointing of God. And, and it's not just, it's, the grace of God is not just something that causes us to survive. It causes us to thrive. But we've got to get to that point where we say, I, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. And when we can admit that, God says, all right, you're ready. You're weak. Let my strength make you perfect. But if all I ever say is I'm too good, I got it all sorted out. I, I, God's like, okay, if, all right. I can only fill your cup in accordance to how much you need it filled. If, if you've got a full cup, I'll just... You're still my son. You're still my daughter. I still love you. But you let me know. Are you being sifted right now? What sieve is Satan using to sift you? Is it the sieve of temptation? Is it the sieve of sickness? Is it the sieve of trauma or anxiety? Is it a sieve of rejection, a sense of abandonment? Perhaps it's a sieve of finances, be it in lack or in abundance. Is it success? How are you weak? Where are your Achilles? Will you let God come? and scaffold you. Final point. Is that a falter is not a failure. A falter is not a failure. We've got to make a decision to allow the falter to refine us and not define us. Consider Peter. And John's gospel, we we read in John, at the end, John chapter 21, after keeping in mind that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus died, he came back to life. He's on the beach. By the fireplace, he's with Pete. He says, do you love me? Remember that conversation? Three times. And Peter says, three times. Lord, You know, you know I do. It was at that moment by the fireplace that Peter was restored. I love that Jesus didn't write Peter off, though he had denied Jesus. See, it's possible, very possible, to falter in your actions, but not fail in your heart. So you're, you, perhaps you're here today, and you, you feel like a failure, because you're faltering with certain decisions in your life, or actions of the flesh, things that come from your mouth, things that go on in your head, but really deep down, you still have faith. Well, that was Peter. Peter's faith did not fail and we know that it didn't fail because Jesus said, I would pray that your faith would not fail and it didn't fail. He still believed in his heart. He just had a problem with his profession. But that faltering was used to propel Peter in his conviction. It was Peter that ended up having the leadership of the church. Remember that. God used Peter the, the, guy that, the, the, the guy that denied him three times? Yeah, because he came back. It was Peter we read about in, in, say, 1 Peter, for example. And Peter says, hey, be careful about the fiery darts. There are trials happening. You've got to be strong. Well, Peter knew about the fiery darts. He knew about the, the need to have faith and be strong. It was Peter we can read about again in John chapter 21, where John talks about, What Jesus said about Peter being taken away with his arms being stretched out and how he would die. Remember that? Our forefathers and historians would tell us that Peter would end up, he ended up giving up his life. And he didn't consider it worthy to be crucified the same way that his Lord was crucified. So he asked to be put upside down in Rome and he died that way. But that's the same Peter that faltered. Have you faltered in your life? Don't waste it. He hasn't forgotten. And he'll use it for good. Don't even waste your mistakes. Be it your fault or not. Be it just a vulnerability or even a sin. Don't waste it. Don't let the enemy get in there to try and define you and your trajectory in life because Christ has a better plan he wants to redeem that there is nothing wasted in the kingdom of God and we are being lied to by the world to tell us that you are a product of the decision you make today no and you're not a product of your past either we are not victims of the past we are products of the cross and when we come to the cross, he does something supernaturally divine inside of us. He makes us new. Not just at that point are we a new creation, but we are continually being regenerated. So, my encouragement to your friends before we finish, and if we could have Justin come, to never stop believing. Never stop trusting. Consider even the trial that you're going through now. I was with my daughter the other day, driving in the car on the way to the hospital. And we were just talking about, uh, she's having troubles with asthma, she's all good now. Um, In the car, and, and I said to her, darling, you know, everyone we look at, everyone, smiling or not, Is facing some type of battle everyone because she's asked me about what I do and contrary to popular opinion I don't just prepare for a message on a Sunday and play golf for the rest of the week some of you find it hard to believe that I don't play golf I play croquet it's different (laughs) so I said to Grace darling everyone we look at whether they're smiling or not they're facing some type of battle some are bigger than others It might be with their health, it might be in their family, it might be at work, it might be with friends, it might be at school, everybody. And we should never underestimate that. And if we can, encourage people in God to stand strong in Him. And I said to listen to them first of all. And if they can, allow us to pray with them. And if they ask for any thoughts or advice, then we offer and if I could submit anything to your friends and family today, it's this. Let's not be too confident in ourselves. Let's be confident in Him, allowing His grace to come. Let's uh, let's not be afraid of our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, but give it to God and not let the enemy exploit it. But also... though we may at times just lose our footing, don't stop, but stand in Him. Can we pray? Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come around Your Word and be encouraged. We thank You that at times, even as we read about Peter, he was um, confident, even at times cocky. He disagreed with You, but You saw his heart and more than anything, he just had faith. Lord, would we be a people that continues to trust you and to stand in you, to have faith in you, not in ourselves, not our own plans, not our own abilities, our own strengths, because those things come and go, but you remain the same. Would you teach us to, cure, to secure ourselves in you, to anchor ourselves in you, the rock of all ages? We thank you, Father, for your goodness. Lord, for for this church community, I pray for salvation. Right now, I pray for salvation in our hearts for every single one of us. I ask, Lord, that we would uh, see that it's what you have done for us on that cross. Though it's offensive, the very message of the cross, it's offensive because it cuts to the heart of the human condition. That we are lost without you. Lord, I ask that you would help us be reminded that we are just to trust in you.